Old Testament reading comes from the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and the bride adorns herself with jewels. For the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden what is sown in it to spring up, so the Lord will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before the nations. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent, and for Jerusalem's sake, I will not rest until her vindication shines out like the dawn and her salvation like a burning torch. The nations shall see your vindication and all the kings your glory, and you shall be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will give. You shall be a crown of beauty in the hand of the Lord and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Luke. Glory to you, O Lord. After 80 days had passed, passed, it was time to circumcise the child, and he was called Jesus, the name given by the angel, before he was conceived in the womb. When the time came for the purification, according to the law of Moses, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it was written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And they offered a sacrifice according to what is stated in the law of the Lord, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. This man was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit rested on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Guided by the Spirit, Simeon came into the temple. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do what was customary under the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Master, you are now dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all the peoples, a light for the revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. And the child's father and mother were amazed at what was being said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to his mother Mary, this child is destined for the falling and the rising of many in Israel. And it is to be a sign that will be opposed, so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Would you pray with me? O Christ, the prophets foretold your coming, the heavens celebrated your birth, Your church praises you, for she has seen your salvation. Son of God, we were in darkness, and you have given us light, peace, and joy. Give us generous hearts today to hear your word. And Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing and acceptable to you, O Lord, 
my rock and my redeemer. Well, good morning, family, and Merry Christmas. If we haven't met yet, my name is Paul Burkhart. I serve Resurrection as its director of youth ministry. You probably could have guessed that, though, because it's the week after Christmas when churches across the country let their youth leaders preach and let, give their real preachers a week off. So it is really good to be with you this morning. Yeah, Chris appreciates it. And uh, I want to begin today by also wishing you a happy new year. I did not set this sermon series that we've been doing, going through the songs that accompany the, uh, the, the stories of the birth of Jesus. I didn't set this text on this day, New Year's Eve, but as I've sat with it, I've realized it is the perfect text for a day like today. Because since the earliest days of the Christian church, this song of Simeon has been used to mark the ending of time and the beginning of new time. It's been used in countless deathbed liturgies to end people's lives and to mark that time and lead them into the next. And for every major tradition of the church that has a set time of prayer throughout the day, this prayer is, the song is always the prayer that is the last thing that Christians are to pray before they sleep at night. Since its earliest days, this song has captured the imagination of Christians because it so beautifully marks what it's like to live life in these times between times these liminal spaces of already but not yet, of transition where one thing has already happened but has not yet been completed. And I think this text, beginning to end, shows us in a really beautiful way what, it, what it's like to meet God in the already but not yet of our lives and our existence, who this Jesus is that we meet and what life with him is like. And so today we're just gonna go to the text, section by section, and see what God's word might have for us today. So first, where are we? What are we doing? Well, we are still in Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. Mary and Joseph have not yet returned home to Nazareth, up in the northern part of Israel, in the Galilee. They're still in Bethlehem, the modern West Bank, just outside of Jerusalem. And Luke opens his text by kind of in one, a couple summary statements, describing three different Old Testament laws that Mary and Joseph are fulfilling right now. The first is, according to the law, they circumcise Jesus, which just means that they are putting the promise of God in the flesh of their firstborn son to bear that promise into the next generation and to mark him as part of God's people. Secondly, they are going to the temple to offer a sacrifice to mark the end of their purification period. After childbirth, women were considered ceremonially unclean for a time not as a statement on them or on childbirth itself, but uh, because of the blood involved in the process. And uh, due to the circumstances of Jesus' birth, there was no midwife around, so Joseph had to step in and likely got blood on him, meaning he had to wait this period as well. And so they're going to the temple to offer this sacrifice, to mark their rejoining of the life of faith into the community. And you may know this, but these sacrifices were pegged to one's income level. So just a little bit of trivia. This sacrifice of two turtle doves or two pigeons shows that Jesus's family was a very modest means, a kind of lower middle class, paycheck to paycheck sort of life. That's where our savior came into. These are the parents he had, and they move forward in a third ritual that Luke doesn't go in depth on, but it's called the redemption of the firstborn. It harkens back to the story of Exodus, where God sent the angel of death through Egypt to take the lives of all the firstborn of everything there. 
And after he does that, he turns to Moses and he says, I'm also taking the firstborn sons of Israel as my own as well, because as our text quotes, every firstborn male shall be designated as holy to the Lord. And so God had claimed all firstborn sons for his own. And so he had all the parents have to go and give an offering to redeem their child into their care that they might steward God's promise in them themselves. And I love the book of Luke. It goes through so many, it has so many layers of irony and meaning upon meaning. And this text is no different because I just, Mary and Joseph are here literally redeeming Jesus as the bearer of the promise to God's people. And then Simeon swoops in and sings a song about how Jesus himself is the savior and redeemer of the world and is the fulfillment of the promise he bears in himself. And I just, I just love that moment. But who is this Simeon guy? We don't have a lot of descriptors for him, but what we have is interesting says in our text that his man in Jerusalem named Simeon, he was righteous and devout, looking forward to the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit rested on him. And what's interesting is that the, these descriptors of Simeon come from people recollecting who Simeon was decades later. And so what sticks out to people in their minds as Luke is writing his gospel, decades after his death, this is what we have here today. And the one that's most interesting to me is the one that says that he was looking forward to the consolation of Israel. Because the weird thing to me is all Jews at that time were doing that. But something about the way Simeon did so and the way he wore that on his sleeve so marked his faith that decades later people recalled it. And all that line means is that Simeon was looking forward to God delivering on his promise to redeem and restore his people. But the interesting thing is, to believe that means you have to acknowledge that there are parts of God's promise that he has not yet delivered on. To look forward to the consolation of God's people, you have to believe and understand that there are things for which God's people need to be consoled. And so this Simeon was no overly sentimental, overeager, overly religious type that was probably picking up random babies and singing songs to them all the time. No, this was a man that was clear-eyed about the darkness in the world and in our own hearts. A man that refused to accept any of the false consolations that the world offers to quiet the voices or numb us to the pain and suffering and darkness in the world or in our lives. This was a man that knew the darkness and he looked forward to a day that a light would pierce it. He was like those in our Old Testament reading that said they would not rest until they saw the vindication of Israel and the salvation of our God. This was Simeon not accepting anything less than God himself showing up and delivering on his promises. And the crazy thing is, God does. He shows up and he meets Simeon in this moment. We don't know how long Simeon had to wait it could have been decades since he had that quiet intuition that he would not die until he saw this. But today it happens. And Simeon gets to see it. And he sings. We also get our first little glimpse of what life in the liminal, the already but not yet, looks like. It's a time that we recognize and see 
that there are parts of this world that are not yet what they would be. That there's a dissonance between who God has said he is and what the world is now, to recognize that. And yet Simeon also shows us here that God meets those who cling to the promise of God all the more tightly in that dissonance instead of rejecting it altogether. So let's turn to this song. Man, I could preach so many sermons on this song, every word of it. A lot got cut out of me writing this up. I mean, it is, there, there's good reason why Mary and Joseph are, sit amazed at the end of this song. It has the whole sweep of God's redemptive work in the world, shows what, what he is doing, where he has come from. It is, there's something about this little Jesus, just him showing up. He's not even done any of the Messiah stuff yet, but something, just something about the, him showing up in the first place is the culmination of Simeon's life and of the entire history and story of the cosmos itself in this moment. And so with the song itself, I want to focus on this image of light. It's the climax of the song. It's what everything builds up to is this fact of Jesus as light. Let's look at it. It says, Master, now you are dismissing your servant in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. This, Jesus is this light that pierces the darkness of this world. And it's experienced by two different groups of people in two different ways. First to the Gentiles, just, it was just shorthand for those that are not yet part of God's people, and Israel, God's people. So if you consider yourself part of that first group, you're not yet a Christian, you wouldn't consider yourself that, you're exploring spirituality, you're thinking about coming back to the faith that you were raised in, Look at Jesus here. Jesus is a revelation of who God is. And so if you have hard, deep questions about the Bible, about Christianity, about Christians or the church, first off, welcome. You are in good company with us here. It is great to have you alongside of us. But secondly, I offer to you what Simeon offers. He says, look at Jesus. Because in Jesus, you see the clearest revelation of who this God is. So look at the God revealed in Jesus and ask if that is the kind of God that you could believe in, that you could follow, that you could reorient your life around, or maybe even love. Or ask if that's a God that you wish you could believe in, even if you don't know if you do right now. And if that's you, listen to that intuition inside of you. But if that's you and you see in Jesus a God that you could follow, then join us. Join us and walk with us in doing so and we will figure out the rest of the stuff later. Because look at Jesus to see who God is. But this light of Jesus not only does that, it comes to God's people as God's own glory to his people. And I don't know about you, but to me that is very good news because when Christians or the church have sought their own glory, things have gotten very dark very fast. And they hurt their own people. They hurt others. And they bring darkness into the world instead of the light that Jesus brings. 
And so if you struggle, know that your glory is not based on how well you do this Christianity thing, but it is based wholly upon the Jesus to whom you are joined. That is where our glory is. That is what we cling to. That is what we rely on. Not anything having to do with ourselves. And this is what Simeon sees. This is what Simeon celebrates. He celebrates the culmination of God's promises to his people coming true in Jesus. And he sings this song and Mary and Joseph are amazed. But he's not done. He turns to Mary and he gives her a word, a word that is hard. Let's look at that. Just a little detail I love. I love it says he blesses them and then he says this. Simeon blessed them and then said to his mother Mary, this child is destined for the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be opposed so that the inner thoughts of many will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. This is a hard word. It talks about rising and falling, opposition, and inner thoughts that tried to stay dormant or hidden or people didn't know were there that are risen up to the surface. And the rising part might sound good, but it's the same word for the word resurrection. So it means being raised from a very low starting point. It's a hard word that Mary receives, but it describes for us what life in these liminal spaces look like with Jesus. If the song tells us who Jesus is, this word tells us what life with him looks like. And what it tells us is that whether it is a society, a government, a family, or a church, or an individual, when Jesus comes to it, he brings a churning, a tumult, a turning over of the soil of things, like a plow digging through to reveal all these bits of opposition and inner thoughts and motives to raise us and to humble us. Jesus brings a churning when he comes into things. So let me ask you, where are you experiencing that churning in your life right now? Where, because of Jesus, do you experience the friction that comes with life in this already but not yet Revealing things within you that you did not know were there, did not want to be there. Or maybe what's a more illuminating question, what areas of your life are you not feeling that churn? Because we humans are experts at finding strategies to keep that churn at bay, to quiet the voice, to rationalize away what we want to do and not listen to the quiet voice of Jesus trying to call us to life, fullness, and wholeness in the midst of the turning over of the soil in all these different areas of our lives. For me, as I've been sitting with this, I have felt the, the churn of Jesus in my relationship with time itself and how I frantically, almost desperately, try to fill it with so much stuff, just meaningless distractions. And it, it sits there and it reveals in doing so, it reveals this opposition inside of me to the, the invitation of Jesus to stop, to rest, just commune, 
Jesus himself and his life acts as a sign to me of what it means to be and not just do all the time. And in that sign, it exposes the bits of opposition inside of me, the reflexes that push against that. So what is it for you? Where do you not allow the soil of your life to be turned over? Is it in how you spend your money? Is it in how you vote and engage politics? Is it how you engage the world as a sexual being, either with others or with yourself? Is it how you talk to or about others, whether that's in person or on social media? And the list could go on, right? How you engage the natural world and the environment, your families, your job, any number of things. Where are you and where are you not experiencing that tumult, that turning over? And listen for that. Could it be that you've shut yourself off from hearing the quiet voice of Jesus trying to draw you back into the light that he is? So let's say you have some things in mind. What do we do with that? How do we actually live this out? What do we do? Well, I think we use Mary as our guide. Mary as our model for what to do. And I see here in this moment doing two things that I think are invitations for us as well. First, she receives God's word for her. Just, just now when I was listing all those places of whether or not Jesus, you're letting Jesus in to overturn the soil and all that stuff, the politics, the sexual life, the, you know, how you talk to people, your job, all that stuff. I went to that list. How many of you thought of somebody else that you thought should take that to heart? How many of you had a picture in your head of someone that's like, oh, I really wish they hear that? Or those people could really use that message. I think that is one of the most, look, I get it, I do it, I do it all the time. But I think that is one of the most common, most toxic tendencies of the human heart at display in the church, that to receive a prophetic, invitational word from God and to deflect that onto some other. So who are those people for you that you tend to think need to hear God's word more than you do? Because I, there's a really good chance that whatever thing you think they need to hear really badly, probably some version of it you need to hear, and you've come up with a strategy to quiet that voice. So the first thing we do is we receive God's word for us, Mary doesn't hear these words and say, oh, I hope all those Pharisees hear this. She says, she receives it as a word for her. So she receives God's word for her, but she also receives God's sword for her. Maybe, maybe you've been in here today and maybe you've been thinking, Paul, this is all well and good, but my life has been nothing but churn and tumult for a long while now. The soil in my heart in my life has been turned over so many times, I don't know which side is up and which is down. I could use a lot less of that right now, if anything. And I know a lot of this text so far is hard words and heaviness, and this seems like the cherry on top, the hardest one of them all, but actually, I think this is a word for all of us and specifically those for whom it's a really difficult season. 
This is actually the most beautiful line in the text to me. Because if you follow the image of the divine sword throughout scripture, it is not an image of violence and destruction. It is an image of discernment and division. It's always employed in places and spaces where things are all mixed together that you could not separate these things into their constituent parts. You wouldn't think so. And yet the divine, straight, sharp sword of God can enter into it and separate those things out that give life from that which gives death. And the sword goes in and it separates out those things that bring joy, fullness, wholeness, rest, communion, shalom, connection. And it separates those things off from that which brings death and chaos and violence and injustice and destruction. Jesus loves us enough to send the sword in to highlight and bring to the surface those different things so we can learn what really matters, what really draws us to him and what things pull us away from him. Because Jesus loves us, he wants us enough that he will show us the things that are keeping us from him. And it hurts, I know. Look, I, my full-time job is as a family therapist. Um, I've worked in social work for a long time. I've worked, I worked in substance abuse treatment for over a decade. And let me tell you one thing I learned. Sobriety is hell in a literal sense. No one hop, skips, and jumps their way from addiction into sobriety because sobriety entails a million countless little deaths along the way. Everything you knew of yourself, your very center of being, your understanding of yourself, what felt like home to you, what you felt like you deserved, who you are, who your people are, what your places are, you have to die to all of those things. The sword enters into your life and starts cutting things away that have robbed you of your life and connection to others and yourself. And you have to experience a death to those things. There is grief and lament and loss in the movement away from what binds you and holds you. It hurts. So what are those things for you? in your movement from selfishness or greed or self-indulgence or anger or fear, it will hurt. It will take the sword of Jesus going all the way down. And again, we use so many strategies to try to keep that sword at bay, to not let it come to us. We structure our lives to keep ourselves safe and secure and not let the sword in. Or we try to fool ourselves by just letting it in a little bit. But Jesus loves us enough to let the sword go all the way in and do its work to draw us to him. And what's more, he loves us so much. He does not just pierce us with his sword, but he allows himself to be pierced by our own sin, alienation, and death. And so if you are in one of those seasons, know that Jesus knows he is with you in that he came and he tasted all of the churn and tumult and turning over of things in this world. He knows, and if you are in one of those seasons, you are probably closer to the heart of the suffering Jesus now than you are when you're outside of it. 
Because on the cross, Jesus took all of that sin, alienation, and death that we experience in this cross-pressured, tension-filled, ambiguous, already-but-not-yet kind of life. He took that all on himself, and he came out the other side in resurrection life. And what's more, this whole beginning part of our text about Mary and Joseph doing all the Old Testament laws, it's to show us that even before he could do it for himself, Jesus was living in line with the law and vision that God has for his people and for the world. And so even from before, while he was still an infant, he was living, lives, living a life within the contour and the rhythm and the grain of the universe as God intended. And he lives a life of fullness and peace and generosity and love and communion with God and others. And then by baptism and by faith, he actually joins us to himself spiritually. And he nourishes and feeds us at his table, giving us access to his very own strength and fullness that he lived in the already but not yet. And so we don't seek within ourselves that which we need to live this life well, but we cling all the more tightly to Jesus in the midst of it. And he sustains us and he holds us through it all. So Resurrection Church, hear the good news of Jesus Christ. That in this already but not yet world, God has come among us in Jesus and has become for us what we could not find within ourselves. He is our peace where there is chaos. He is our glory where there is failure. He is our light where there is darkness. And he is our life where there is death. So we may depart in peace this day and forevermore. Merry Christmas indeed. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. King Jesus, we love and adore you and thank you for all that you have done to meet us in life as it is today. Would you be with us as we walk with these words and walk into this new year to see what you might have for us, what to attend to, what to bring to you and to others and to seek repentance and support and change in. Send your spirit to be with us and help us to depart in peace. We love you. Amen.